I read a news item that says loneliness and depression are the next big pandemic health issues. It says that we are more connected than ever before through the social media, and yet we are more separated and isolated and living in loneliness and depression than ever in our history. A few years earlier, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal talking about, said we have a pill for every kind of depression, but not for this current crisis. Depression has now increased both in the UK and the United States, went from the 20 percentage uh, numbers per, in the population to more than third, both here and in the UK. And there is no pill for that. News alert. News alert. I am here to announce to you this morning, this resurrection morning, this resurrection Sunday, that there is an absolute cure for all forms of depression. There is healing that medicine alone cannot provide. There is a remedy for all of our social ills if we apply it. It is the resurrected Jesus. Amen. Give Him praise. Give Him praise. There may be no pill for fear and anxiety that causes depression, but there is the resurrected Jesus. There may be no pill for our economic woes, but there is the resurrected Jesus. There may be no pill for our political deceptions that are very destructive, but there is the resurrected Jesus. For if the resurrection of Jesus out of the grave on the third day tells us anything, it tells us that He and He alone can lift our sagging spirit, that He and He alone can set us free from fear, anxiety, and worry that shackle our lives. He and He alone can resurrect us from depressed emotions. He and He alone can take us from hopelessness to hope. He and He alone can take us from depression to mission. And that's what really what I want to talk to you about today, from depression to mission. If you turn in your Bible, Bible ably read this morning, Luke 24, and if you don't have your Bible, just grab one in the pew. Uh, it's uh, page 1642, I think. Because there is an amazing encounter that Jonathan read this morning, an amazing encounter with the risen Christ. Two of Jesus' disciples, actually they were related to Him, they were walking home to Emmaus in utter, utter hopelessness and depression. They had witnessed the crucifixion with their own eyes. They saw the horror and the violence and the terror. And don't ever forget, it was bloodied. They saw that with their own eyes. They saw their hope was lost on that cross. And that is why when they talked with Jesus, they said, we had hoped in the past. They saw their dreams dashed on that cross. They saw their future ended on that cross. So they waited around for three days uh, in Jerusalem and finally decided to go home 
to their own town of Emmaus depressed. They were coming home overwhelmed with a sense of hopelessness. These two have loved Jesus. They have walked with Jesus. They have followed Jesus. These two have placed all of their hope on Jesus as their Messiah and Deliverer. But then the crucifixion ended all of that. And in their fog of depression, they could not remember the promises of Jesus that he will rise again. (laughs) During his public ministry, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, told them again and again and again that he will die for the sin of everyone who repents and believes in him, but then he will rise again from the dead on the third day. In fact, this is the very reason why he came from heaven. This is the very reason why he's born of a virgin in Bethlehem. To pay for the punishment. As Johnny prayed, the wrath of God that belongs to me, that belongs to you, was carried on Jesus' shoulder on that cross. That's why he came from heaven. But then he told them that he would rise again to assure every believer that they too would rise with him. You see, Jesus spoke plainly. He spoke with stories, spoke with stories. He spoke with illustrations and parables. And he told them many times in, in illustrating what it means for him to die and rise again. He said, like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, and then he was out. Ah, so is the Son of Man, will be buried. The third day he will rise. He told them that just as the grain of seed has to be buried in the ground in order to sprout stronger, greater seed, so will his death and resurrection. But because they allowed themselves in this dark tunnel of depression, they forgot the rest of the story. They forgot the rest of the story. They forgot the rest of God's plan of salvation. They forgot the important part of the promise, and they got bogged down in their sorrow. They bogged down. They were, they were, they were so engulfed in hopelessness. They, were, they got into this kind of depression for which there is no pill. They were so immersed in that suffering of the cross that they failed to remember the promise of the resurrection. I wonder how many of us get in that situation. Fear, which leads to depression, can be, can be more contagious. Listen to me. <laughs> I've seen it, and you have too. Fear can be more contagious than any disease, worse than any disease. Why else, as I told you, Great Britain, rate of depression goes from the 20 to more than a third of the population. third of the population. The same increase here in the United States. Yet, the only permanent cure is the resurrected Jesus. I can promise you that the further we depart from the resurrected Jesus, the further we depart from the Word of God, the worse condition that we're going to find. But there's more. Jesus did not come from heaven just to cure us from depression. He came to save us eternally. 
Can I get an amen? He came to permanently forgive our sins, cancel the debt. He came to, to, to set us free from guilt and sin for, those who, for everyone who repents. He came to assure every believer that their eternal life with Him is absolutely sure. And, my beloved friend, that hope should fill us with joy. If I've learned anything about this encounter of the resurrected Jesus with these two disciples from Emmaus, it would be this. The resurrected Jesus does not only heal our depression, but He sends us on a mission. I want to look a little closer at these disciples. Just let's follow with me, please. Uh, the reason I ask you to bring your Bibles and follow up the Bible in the pew, I want you to check me out. I don't want to tell you anything that's not in the Bible, okay? <laughs> I said they lived in Emmaus, well, the Bible said that, which is about seven miles. I've passed Emmaus many, many times. About seven miles from Jerusalem. And back then they walked. Most people did. So they walked the seven miles from Emmaus to Jerusalem to watch this kangaroo court convicting the only sinless, perfect God-man and send him to death. But on the third day, they decided to go home, close the door, pull the shades down, pull the bedclothes over their heads, and get depressed, thoroughly depressed. So follow with me, please, in the story, Luke 24 again, beginning at verse 13. Again, page 1642, if you don't have your own Bible, grab the Pew Bible. I want to tell you three things that the resurrected Jesus did for these two depressed disciples. Three things. Uh, and this really contained the most fabulous news of all, because that same resurrected Jesus can do that for you, and you, and you, and you, and you. How did He do this? First of all, He challenged their false reasoning for depression. He challenged that. Secondly, Jesus corrected their partial information, which led them to depression. And the third thing is, Jesus exchanged their depression for mission. Let's look at these very, very quickly. The resurrected Jesus, first of all, He challenged that false reasoning that caused the depression. Beloved, there's always a reason for depression. There's always a reason for discouragement. There's always a reason. Now, sometimes those reasons are real. Other times, they're imaginary. <laughs> I know that experientially with both. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. And I, because I wonder how many of us, when you get discouraged and you feel depressed, discover later, and I've done that, many of you have done that, you discover later that that reasoning was faulty, was based on faulty information. But before I go on, I need to make something very clear, because I don't want somebody to send me letters and emails and say, Michael, you don't understand my situation. I'm not talking about chemical depression or clinical depression, okay? 
Just, just to get it clear, I'm talking about the emotional depression that comes from having faulty information. So these two waited in Jerusalem till the third day. Why the third day? I want you to listen carefully, because that's the false information. Because there is a Jewish tradition, there is a Jewish myth that says that the soul hovers around the dead person for three days and then departs. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Old Testament. It's not biblical. It's not scriptural. It's not accurate. And that is why these two, if they thought it's going to be a resurrection, would, would have happened. They heard some rumors. The women said, oh, yeah, he's resurrected. The tomb is empty. But on the third day, when they did not see him with their own eyes, they decided to head home and get depressed. Let me ask you this. Listen, just, just please answer that to yourself. How many times when you are on the cusp of a difficult issue, and we all face them in life, I mean, you are dealing with something very difficult, you're grappling, you're grasping for straws, and, and when nothing happens, you allow yourself to get into that funk, that hopelessness, that depression. How many times have you placed your hope on someone only to disappoint you, and then you get depressed? How many times have you placed your hope on that business deal? I mean, your life future, and you planned, and everything else around that business deal, and it fails, and you get depressed. How many times have you placed your hopes and your dreams on something, and when they were dashed and did not eventuate, you felt a sense of hopelessness. Now, whether is causing you depression and discouragement, I want you to know that the resurrected Jesus can cure your depression right now, right here in this place. Amen? The Emmaus too place their hope on this mythological speculation. Uh, some of their ancestors, some old rabbi, somebody came up with that uh, cockamamie idea that the soul hovers around, and then the soul depart. <laughs> and when they did not see with their own eyes that this took place, they became depressed. They lost hope. <laughs> they were actually probably like Thomas. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Remember, Thomas, he was not with the disciples. He probably was home depressed too. <laughs> he was not with the disciples. So when Jesus appeared to the disciples, he wasn't there. He comes in a few days later, and they said, Thomas, we saw the Lord. I said, no, 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 you can't be telling me the truth. Thomas, we saw him with our eyes. We talked to him. Unless I feel the wounds in his hands and his side. And you know what the gracious Lord Jesus did? He did come again just to Thomas and let him touch his wounded hands and side. But they, in their fog of disappointment, they failed to recognize that the very cross, which was the mallet that shattered their dreams, was the very instrument of redemption. They have, in the fog of depression, uh, they saw that the pouring of the blood of Jesus on that cross uh, was not only the power of, 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 of redemption in that blood. They 
so did, when they saw that rugged cross, they did not realize it's the very instrument of bringing eternal life to whomever and whomsoever believe, that this very empty tomb uh, in which Jesus was buried, it was designed to bury permanently sin, guilt, and death for everyone who received Jesus, the resurrected Jesus as Savior. So, the resurrected Jesus challenged their faulty reasoning. Secondly, the resurrected Jesus corrects their partial information. Let me tell you, as a guy who spent many years studying sociology, I can tell you history of social movements, which was my field. The most dangerous, the most dangerous leaders of movements, most dangerous movements, are those people with partial information. Check me on that. Partial information, just some never finish the education or this and that. You, you, you see it throughout history. Partial information. And beloved, listen to me, partial information is dangerous. <laughs> As I said, so many of these dangerous leaders had partial information. Why? Because partial information leads to wrong conclusion. Look at verse 25 with me. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe. All of the prophets have prophesied about me. Now, if your translation doesn't say me, add it in there because it is there in the original. Did not the Christ have, have to suffer these things and then entered into glory? Beloved, listen to me. Listen to me. The most dangerous preachers that we have today, which is a cause of a lot of heartache, are those who preach half-truths. Those who tell you that Christianity and the Bible is a smorgasbord. You pick what you want, you reject what you don't want. False. Or that Christ is so loving, He's not going to judge anybody. False. Or that Christ is only one of many ways to God. Absolutely false. Or that Jesus is our Savior, but not He's the Savior of the, everyone in the world. Big false. <laughs> or that all religions are, will lead to the same place. False. Or that all religions are equally true. False. I want you to say false with me. Can you say false? False. Got it. <laughs> oh, that God is only looking for good intentions and sincerity. False. Oh, that God does not care how we behave morally. False. The list goes on and on. I'm not going to get into it. I know you need to go home and have, have lunch with your family. <laughs> no wonder people are depressed. No wonder they're depressed because they're sitting in churches hearing half-truth, false-truth, a truth that's not a very partial. Ah, but today you can have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and then you can get the whole truth, the whole truth. Jesus said, when you believe in me and you believe my word and you believe that my truth, then that truth is going to set you free. Amen. When you come to the realization 
that Jesus and only Jesus can save you eternally, that Jesus and only Jesus, he, the one can assure you of eternal life in heaven with him, that Jesus is the only one who loved you enough to die for you and to carry the punishment, your punishment, on his sinless body, that only then did, will you rise again and be with him for all of eternity. And you'll go from depression to mission. These two from Emmaus, to them, Jesus was saying, you needed to believe the whole truth. You must believe the whole Bible as God's book. The reason it is called Holy Bible, because it is the only source from which we get our information in which God reveals Himself fully. Jesus is saying to these two, had you read the Bible, that is the Old Testament, for yourselves, had you believed the Bible, which is the Old Testament, for yourself, had you not allowed all this false teaching and false information and false preachers affect you, you would have known, <laughs> you would have known <laughs> that the grave could not hold him, that the tomb could not keep him, that he has conquered death and rose again. <laughs> Amen. And he alone rises again as a proof, as proof that he and he alone is God's Messiah. He and he alone is the way to God the Father and to eternity and, and, and forgiveness of sins. Listen to me. Today, you can read the Gospels for yourself. Don't listen to what I'm saying. Don't listen to anybody else saying. Read the Gospel for yourself. If you believe the Gospel is the Word of God, and when you surrender your life to Him alone, you will silence all these extraneous voices that are around you and listen to Him alone. You will be eternally saved. Why? Because Jesus knows that partial information is not only deceiving you, it's not only deceiving, it will cause depression here in this life and loss of eternity, the place of horror and pain and suffering that goes on forever and ever. I remember years ago, quite a number of years ago now, a headmaster of a former Christian school. A headmaster of a former Christian school. Some of you actually will remember what I'm talking about. He sent a letter to the parents and to the students, and he said to them, he said, you must understand, Jesus may be our Savior as Christians, but He's not the Savior of everybody. The Muslims have their own Savior, the Buddhists have their own Savior, and the Hindus have their own Savior. I couldn't resist. I had to sit down and write him a letter. <laughs> I mean, truly. And in the letter, I said to him, are you aware of the fact that Muhammad never, never, never claimed to be the Savior of Muslims? In fact, Muslims would be offended if he told them that Muhammad is their Savior. But the man, this ordained man in his own denomination, was sharing absolute false 
not just partial truth, but false truth. Your eternity hangs in the balance. Forgetting the whole truth, not the partial truth that Dr. Smilfungus or a pastor so-and-so told you. No, no, no. The whole truth from the Word of God. Come to the only one who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. Open your heart to the full truth of the resurrected Jesus, for only He can take you from depression to mission. He challenged their false reasoning. Secondly, He corrected their partial information. And thirdly, He led them to the only cure for depression, the only cure. Verse 30 and 31, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but then he took off. Please listen to me. When you invite the resurrected Jesus into your life as your only Savior and Lord, he will take over. He will take over. He doesn't come take sides. He'll take over. He comes into the stable, and he becomes the host, and he, he literally <laughs> breaks the bread, and he prays. He, he becomes the host. He becomes the, 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 the head of the house. He will transform you. He will bring his joy into your joyless, joyless circumstances. He will bring his victory into your defeated life. He will bring his power to your powerless life. He will come to deliver you from whatever it is that's holding you back. Only you and God know. Look with me, please, at the rest of the passage. These two recognize the resurrected Jesus. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing transformation. They go from fear to faith and courage. They go from pain to joy. They go from hopelessness to hope. They move from defeat to victory. They moved from depression to mission. For they immediately, the Bible said they got up and they made that track. Dark at night, that's a dangerous road, let me tell you. <laughs> back then, seven-mile track walking back to Jerusalem. They couldn't hold it. They have to go tell the disciples. Yeah, we heard the rumor, but now we saw him. They had to go back. They're on a mission now. They're not afraid. They're not terrified. They're not depressed anymore. They must deliver the good news. And my believing friends, we have good news. We have the greatest news of all, and you better start sharing it now. They had to go to tell the others. They had to go tell them, we have seen the risen Christ from hopelessness to hope. Now, I can tell you this. It's not a secret. That's also my story. A story of a discouraged, defeated, depressed, and suicidal 19-year-old. Now, those of you who know me say, wait a minute, Michael, didn't you give your life to Christ two years earlier? Yes, I did. I did. But I got into a situation where I thought death is better than life. Until I opened my life to the resurrected Jesus, 
And he came and transformed my life and gave me a mission for life. Praise God. That's not only my story. It's the story of millions of people. Millions of people living under the most difficult circumstances around the world. Look at verse 27 with me. I left it to the end because of its significance. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said about him in all of the Scriptures. Listen, before I go on, you must understand, you must understand, you must understand, and I know I'm probably preaching mostly to the choir, but in case one member here is not, one person is not a member of the choir, I want you to listen. <laughs> Maybe more than one person who's not in the choir, listen to me. Jesus is not, is not, is not a founder of a religion. Jesus is the creator God. And that is why all the founders of these religions, they are dead in their tombs, and people go and visit these tombs. But Jesus rose from the dead never to die again. Amen. He was the one for whom generations have waited, literally from Adam, but certainly from the time of Abraham. That's 2,000 years before Christ. They waited for that day. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Jesus, who is God the Son, was promised by God the Father from the beginning of time. Look again at verse 27. Most likely, Jesus pointed to them how all of the Old Testament prophets prophesied about Him, His birth, His death, His resurrection. He did not come just kind of uh, out of the blue. He must have shown them no doubt that in Genesis 3.15, that he is the seed of the woman who crushes the serpent's head, and that's Satan. He must have showed him that he is the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah. He must have shown him that he is the branch of righteousness from the book of Jeremiah, that he is the plant that's giving shade and shedding fragrance in the book of Ezekiel, that he is the stone that is not cut with hands that destroyed the nations in the book of Daniel, that he is the growing lily in the book of Hosea, that he is the hope of the people in the book of Joel, that he is the plowman who overcame the reaper in the book of Amos, that he is the deliverer from Mount Zion in the book of Obadiah. Amen. And beloved, this is a very partial list. Had I the time... I would give you a fuller list. Listen to me, please. If you accept the invitation of the resurrected Jesus, He will not only take away whatever depressing you, discouraging you, He will send you on a mission. And you will continue on that mission until He takes you home to glory. Will you come to Him in repentance? acknowledging you're a sinner, and He took those punishment of your sin on that cross. Trust in His promises, and He promised that when you invite Him to come, in no way He will reject you. Absolutely, in the double negative in the Greek, no, not never, He'll never reject you. Can I get an amen? amen. Will you pray with me, please?
in the privacy of your own seat. If God has spoken to you, never mind what I said, but if God's spoken to you, if the Holy Spirit convicted you, do not leave this place until you say to Him, Father, forgive me. I've sinned against heaven and earth. I've sinned against you. Forgive me. May that blood that Jesus shed on the cross cover me, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I thank you that you promised to adopt me as your child, become a member of the heavenly family. And if you prayed this prayer, please tell somebody. Tell one of the pastors at the end of the service who are going to be here, just come and tell somebody. A loving Father, it is impossible, it is absolutely impossible to express to you the gratitude that we have for saving us eternally. It is impossible to even comprehend what took place on that cross. We will one day when we see you face to face. But for now, Accept our gratitude and thanksgiving. And, Father, strengthen us to live in victory. Father, for those who do not have a mission, now I pray that you give them a mission for life to make you known and to bring glory to your name. For I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said amen. Now stand up and sing together.